it is great to be here with you guys. I thank you for the privilege of being able to share with you a little bit uh, this morning. Uh, we are blessed to have you all as our partners. As a church, you all, um, in essence, have adopted us as your missionaries uh, by supporting us on a monthly basis, and we're honored and blessed by that, and I'm hoping to be able to share with you, um, uh, kind of encourage you all on, on several levels. I am ADHD. Um, recently diagnosed, and I'm embracing my diagnosis. Um, it explains an awful lot growing up and why my parents turned gray early and uh, why my dad went bald quite fast. Um, but uh, So I will try to stay focused while I have some notes up here that I'm going to use. Um, I got a lot I want to share with you today, uh, but I got to do it really quickly, so I'm going to talk fast and try to stay focused in. Uh, what I'd like to try to do today is actually do three things. One is I want to tell you some glory stories about Bruce Outreach Center, what God is doing uh, in the mountains of Western Maryland. Uh, yeah, God works in, in Western Maryland, far Western Maryland. Uh, God is good. I also want to encourage y'all, maybe inspire you to consider supporting us by praying for us. Um, in the back of the church, on the table, you'll see prayer cards. Uh, on the prayer card, you'll see a picture of an absolutely fabulously beautiful woman and me. Um, as my best friend and wife of 27 years, I married up big time and, uh, very, very grateful for that. Uh, you will not ask, I'm, you're not going to hear me ask you to support us financially. My wife and I have gone by faith. I cannot believe we're doing this at 48 years old. Um, I'm actually going by faith. We raise our own support. Um, but my wife and I made a commitment instead of asking people to support us financially. What we do is we ask y'all to pray for us. Because we have this, we have this silly philosophy that if we can get enough of God's people praying for us, God will tell whoever it is he wants to support us to support us. God will take care of all the other stuff if we got people praying for us. So I would greatly appreciate it if you would make a commitment to accept and adopt Leslie and myself as folks that you pray for on a regular basis. That would be an honor and a privilege if y'all would do that. So I hope that can inspire, inspire you to consider that. And then thirdly, I want to share with you a few words from God's word, a few thoughts from Genesis chapter 22 with the focus on Abraham offering Isaac up as a sacrifice. Now, I don't know about you all, but I have problems sometimes moving basic, common, Christian core beliefs that reside inside of this mind and moving it down to my heart and applying it. Anybody else have problems with that? Or is it just me? There's a few others maybe? A couple. Thank you for some brave folks out there. I appreciate that. Uh, not, y'all, y'all, it's okay to smile. It's okay to relax. It's all good, right? Amen? God's good. I had a really bad sense of humor. I tried to become a stamp comedian. I failed. I became a preacher instead. So y'all just have to humor me. Okay? Um, but I, there's some things that I've tried so hard in my life. I think I believe. But God has spent the last four years transferring some things from my head to my heart. I want to share that with y'all, and hopefully, if y'all can grasp it, you can be changed as well, because God's in the business of changing lives. We're always talking about how God changes the unsaved person. Do you understand that God's in the business of changing his people? Amen? He's in the business of changing his people. If you claim to be his child today, I'm here to tell you, he wants to change you. You are not complete yet. Philippians tells us that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. What that means is you ain't completed yet, and I'm not completed yet. We're in a process, right? And that process of growing. And so I want to share with you a few thoughts on that matter because, you know, I'll give you a quick example of how we can believe things here, but we don't live it out here. 
If I were to ask y'all, how many of you as Christians believe it's important to spend time with God and God's word every day, I guarantee I'd probably get most of y'all going yes. But if I asked you, how many of y'all actually have been spending time with God every day in God's word, the percentage would go way down. If I were to ask you, how many of y'all believe it's really important to share your faith with unsaved people, that everybody would raise their hands. But if I asked you, when was the last time you shared your faith with an unsaved person, boy, that te- those testimonies will go down. See, we, we, we know it, but it's hard to live it out sometimes. And so that's what we want to do. So let me pray for y'all as we get started. Um, do me a favor as we pray. We have about 10, it's possibility right now, the altar call. We have an altar call, an invitation where we have worship service every week. And right now that's going on back at our church home. And there's a p- potential of 10 unsaved people showing up today in our church. I, did, I, I refed 18 basketball games yesterday in a three-on-three tournament. So if I start going like this, because I was blowing the whistle for so much yesterday, I just got into a habit. Um, eight new young men were at that tournament, don't know Jesus, were supposed to come to church today. And then we just started to celebrate recovery. And last Friday night, four new folks came and two of them were going to come to church today. They, none of them had made decisions about Jesus at all. So we got 10 folks. So when we pray, would you pray for them with me? But also, would you think of somebody you know that's not saved? Let's pray for them too, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for our opportunity to be here today. Thank you for these wonderful folks and this precious church family. Lord God, I'm grateful for them. I'm thankful, Lord God, that we have reason to celebrate today. We have reason to worship, and that is because you are who you are. You are God, and you're a God who loves us, and you're a God who poured out your judgment on the cross of Christ so that we don't have to experience that. God, we should be the most joyful people in this world. Lord, I thank you for that. God, I pray for those who don't know you yet. I pray, Lord, right now you move in their hearts, that you put the right people, that you would put the right means, and you put the gospel message clearly in front of them so they can make a decision that could change their eternity. Lord, thank you for loving us and proving it to us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Folks, I want to share with you a little bit about the backdrop, who we are, tell you some glory stories. Um, first of all, let me give you the context of where we serve. I know that, I know that Smithsburg's considered Western Maryland, but we are far <laughs> Western Maryland. Our county is ranked, our economic zone is ranked out of 313 economic zones in the United States. We are ranked number 303 in poverty. Our illiteracy rate and um, our unemployment rate are both at least twice the national average. We have more children in foster care because of drug and alcohol addiction than Baltimore County has. Alcohol is systemic. What I mean by that is picture a tumor that grows in somebody's body and it has tentacles that wraps itself around various major organs. So if you remove the tumor, you could kill the person. That's what alcohol is in our community. And heroin has made a comeback. In the last six months, we have lost 23 young people to heroin overdoses. Now, with that kind of backdrop, it can be really depressing, I know because I serve there. 
It can be really depressing when you look around at that. But, but ladies, not to be sexist here, but, but ladies, when you go to a jewelry store, what type of backdrop do they put diamonds on? Well, I heard a black backdrop, right? The darker the backdrop, the more beautiful the diamonds are, right? Well, my friends, I'm here to tell you up where we are, the backdrop is horribly dark, but Jesus shines bright on that backdrop. God has done some miraculous things, and he's done it through our ministry, Bruce Outreach Center. God's done a great work up there. Um, in the last four years, we've had 99 people give their lives to Christ and have been baptized. We have ministries that have started that help feed about 400 people a month, provide food for multiple folks. We're providing a literacy program. This Wednesday, pray for us, we have an orientation and registration meeting. We're starting a GED, high school diploma program at our church. We have a daycare center that some of y'all were working on um, a while back, pouring up, pulling up floor and that literally looked like it had bowed up and all that torn out. You would not believe it if you came and saw it now. Well, we are literally probably one month away from having that thing ready to be licensed by the state of Maryland as a daycare center. And then the daycare center's um, profit is going to fund another shop area that we're turning into apartments. We're taking a 2,700 square foot shop area and prayerfully we're going to convert it to three 900 square foot apartments that are going to be used to help families have restarts. We know statistically, now this is secular statistics, I love it when, they, when in science does their studies and it proves what the Bible already says. Statistically, we know that if young people would do it in this order, finish their education, get married, then have children, their rate of poverty plummets to almost next to nothing. The problem is things get messed up. That's just what happens in our culture. We're, we're a bunch of messed up people, aren't we? Every one of us messed up in one way or another. We want to help folks have a restart. Instead of having that cycle of, of poverty and welfare and all that's involved with that, we want to give them a place to come where they can get their feet underneath them, where they can get their education, where they can grow, and we can teach them about Jesus so that when they leave our place, they become independent of the government but dependent on Christ. We want to be the gospel, the hands and the feet of Jesus to our community. So there's some radical things going on in this place. So let me share with you some glory stories that are going on up there. First of all, let me tell you how we even got started. I was a very happy pastor of an established church. I was pastoring for 17 years at a church called Christ Memorial Baptist Church. Miss um, Angela, I was completely fine with that. Fine. I was in my boat, and the boat was steady. The Lord didn't just capsize my boat. He sunk the boat behind me so I couldn't get back in later on. This, I just got done preaching a six-week sermon series, six whole weeks on faith. Faith, 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 faith. God will always provide, no matter where he leads, be great men and women of faith. But I was preaching good. You know, it's easy to preach, but you don't have to do it. I was preaching really strong. The week after my sermon series ends, the school building comes up for bid for the community because they shut the school down because of consolidation. And my church people came to me and said, Pastor Stephan, we need to put a bid on that building. And I said, no, we don't. It's 118,000 square feet. 
It's on 12 acres of land. We're a dirt poor community and a small congregation. We do not need that building. They said, but, but pastor, you said, and they brought me my sermon notes. <laughs> now, folks, I don't know about you, but that just ain't right. <laughs> I mean, first of all, most people don't take notes anyway, but if they do, who keeps them all? And then who brings them to the pastor when he doesn't do what he preached? Absolutely amazing. So I came up with this foolproof plan. You're looking at the fool. We, I was going to put a bid in so I could tell my people, your pastor is a man of faith. I put a bid in on that building. But I was going to make it so stinking low. Nobody in their right mind would give us that bid. So in 118,000 square feet, 12 acres of land, a full gymnasium, an auditorium that seats 500 people, I put a bid in for $50,000. No way. I was feeling really good about myself. Three days later, I get a call from the Allegheny County Commissioners saying, Reverend Carr, anybody calls me Reverend Carr, I don't like the way that starts, okay? Reverend Carr, we want you to know that we have unanimously approved your bid and you are now the proud owner of an old 118,000 square foot building. And I'm telling you folks, I sat there and I swear to you, I could hear God laughing at me. So we started to use that building. And we found something really weird about the building. It would draw people that wouldn't go to church anywhere else. I love your motto of becoming a church that unchurched people love to come to. That is so cool. Guys, that's, that's Bruce Outreach Center. People are coming in that building that won't go anywhere else, but they'll come and play a silly game of basketball. They'll spend five hours in an afternoon complaining about the referee <laughs> and playing ball. And, 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 but you know what? They'll, they'll listen about Jesus then. It's amazing what God has done and what he's put together. And so now we've done some ministries. I just want, I want, to, I want to encourage y'all to consider praying for us and becoming our partners. I want to share with you really two quick glory stories and give you some points about this passage in Genesis. Our first year up at the building, I was in the gymnasium and I was refing a game. Now, you got to remember, there was a woman coming to our church. Her name was Bobby. She had a nine-year-old daughter named Jody. And they were coming to our church because they used to be Mormon. They were Mormon, but the local Mormon church had shut down. Darn. So the only place they'd come to was our church because Daddy worked out of town as a heavy equipment operator for a union, so he would be gone for a couple weeks at a time. So they would come to our church. Well, one day, Daddy shows up, and he sits back there the whole time when I was preaching like this. I mean, I can deal with this. I'm used to that, right? But this was a little bit unnerving. When the sermon was done, he walks out, and he just looks at me, and he says, take good care of my girls. And I went, yes, sir. (laughs) A couple days later, I'm in the gym reffing. A woman in our church comes in and says, Pastor Stephan, we need you right now. Give your whistle to somebody else. You're out of here. I said, what's going on, Debbie? She says, we need you. They found Bobby's husband dead at his work site. And we need you to come and tell their nine-year-old daughter, Daddy ain't coming home. Guys, they don't train you in seminary for that kind of stuff. 
So I went there and I sat with the family for several hours. A lot of Mormons were coming in visiting too. I was the only Baptist dude there, right? I'm sitting there and, and I was doing my best to coexist. Sorry, you got to get the joke. You know, bumper sticker, coexist. Okay. I was trying to be good with all the other religions there. I was doing my thing. Pray. The next day, I get a call from Bobby. Bobby says, Pastor Stephan, they're telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. They're telling me I don't know what I'm doing. I'm too tired. I'm too distraught. And, 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 but I know what I want. I said, Bobby, what do you want? What's going on? She says, Pastor Stephan, I want you to do my husband's funeral. Now, I'm like, Bobby, you understand that I'm not Mormon, right? We get that, right? We're clear on that. I don't do Mormons well. I don't do Mormon funerals. I do Baptists. I do Christian funerals. She goes, Pastor Stephan, now then tell me if this is not the Holy Spirit. Okay? Pastor Stephan, I don't understand all that stuff. All I know is my husband took me to church. That's what we did. But something, something inside of me tells me I can trust you. So in a Baptist church, our first funeral ever was for a Mormon. At the funeral, two Mormons got saved. Two weeks later. Yeah, you can applaud. That's right. Amen. We should cheer Jesus. It's amazing how we'll cheer like a little silly guy running around the bases, right? But Jesus saves somebody. We go, you know, I'll tell you, I mean, if anybody's going to give anybody a standing ovation, Jesus deserves it. Amen? So they're going to say, two weeks later, Bobby comes to know Jesus. And two weeks after that, her daughter comes to know Jesus. They both have been baptized. Bobby now provides Bibles for us for the local, uh, we do um, backpack ministry for 30 kids, at-risk children in the local elementary school every week. So she gets Bibles for all of them at Christmas time. Jody sings in our worship team. It is just so cool to see God moving in lives of folks that never thought they would walk into a traditional church. I'll share with you one other story. A guy named Dean. You need to tell, I told two other stories in the first service. You can hear about them if you get the message. But this story is about, about a guy named Dean. Dean walks into my office. Sits down, he says, Pastor Stefan, I want to tell you something. Um, I have made two suicide videos. I'm just tired. Say, I'm done. I had a faith at one time. But my mom died from cancer. I took care of her until she died. My dad died from cancer. I took care of him until he died. My wife and I can't have kids. My job is about to be terminated, and my wife is going to leave me. I'm tired. I'm tired. I try so hard. And so I proceed to share the gospel with him, and and, and I told him, I said, Dean, listen. Dean, you're too tired because you're trying too hard. You can't work hard enough to get saved. You can't work hard enough to be accepted by God. You can't work hard enough to make your life right. Your life stinks because you're a sinner like we all are. You need just to trust in Christ. So I share the gospel with them. I say, look, Dean, you need to get to the point in time in your life where you stop trying to do it yourself. You throw in the towel and you say, Lord Jesus, I surrender everything now. I'm, I'm tired. I've done all this myself. I am an utter failure. But God, I'm going to trust you that you're not a failure. Well, that next Sunday, he comes to church. I do the altar call. We do an altar call at our services. And while I'm praying, 
As soon as I, I say, Lord, if there's somebody here today who needs to make a decision for you, God, just lay it on their heart. Just draw them to yourself, God, to the point where they just completely surrender to you. And, and when I got done, I said, in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. And I look up, and Dean is standing right there. He looks at me, and he goes, I don't know what this is all about, but I need Jesus. How cool is that? Right? So I take him up to pray with him. And as I take him up, you know who's standing behind him? His wife. His wife surrenders to Christ that day. Now get this. They were baptized a few weeks ago. At baptism services, we let leaders in the church come and lay hands on the person being baptized to pray a prayer of blessing over them as they make their commitment to Jesus. Make it just really special. You know who prayed over Kathleen? It was her husband who she was about to leave just a few months earlier. And to hear him pour his heart into that woman and see the life that's being changed. And this story is repeated over and over and over again at Bruce Outreach Center. Because we got a bunch of broken people who show up. And this is the cool thing now. Church people learn how to pretend they're not broken. We get a lot of broken people showing up that know they're broken. And you know what? When you know you're broken, then you want to go get repaired. That's surrender, guys. So we're excited about what God's doing. Now, let me share with you some thoughts from Genesis 22. If you have your Bibles, um, you can turn to it. I know we're going to have the scriptures up here. I'm not used to all this technology stuff, so this is so cool. These guys are awesome. They knocked it out of the ballpark. I won't go home and brag about it at home because my wife's a technology person at home. I'll get in trouble. Uh, but this is, this is the really cool. I want to share with you some things God has done in our life because I'll tell you guys, I've been saved since age seven. I've been raised in a Christian home. I'm a fourth-generation pastor. I get being churched. And God is still teaching me lessons today that I should have learned a long time ago. So let me give you some lessons, all right? And look at this. See, I believe radical faith always produces radical blessings. I've come to learn that. I've come to experience that. God blesses radical faith. Now, understand that, that faith in, you know, great faith in the wrong things produce nothing. And a little bit of faith in Jesus produces much. But I also want you all to understand that when we step out on faith and we live by faith and we surrender to God, he calls us to things that don't make sense. And when we follow him and trust him and obey him, he blesses radically. But he challenges us. Because we're going to look at a text right now where we require radical faith. Genesis 22, 1 to 8. Abraham demonstrated radical faith. Let's look at how. First of all, after receiving instructions to sacrifice his one and only son, he started early the next day in his journey of obedience. Now, let's look at the verses that that highlight that. It's verses 1 to 3 of Genesis chapter 22. It says, sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, what a picture, guys. I won't get into it today. I'm sure your pastor could spend weeks preaching about how this text is a picture of Jesus and what he did for us. Take your son, your only son, the son you love. Does that sound familiar? For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. 
All right? It's an incredible picture here. Isaac carries the wood for his sacrifice. Jesus carries his cross. All right? This is incredible theology here, but I'm not, gonna, I'm not that deep of a person. I'm going to keep it simple here, okay? I want to look at this radical faith. So he says, take your son, um, to go to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain, I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac, and when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. Now look, this is important because he got up early. Now, I don't know about you, but if parents, listen to me. I know you get this, parents. If my God came to me and said, Stefan, take your daughter, your only daughter, the daughter that you love, and go sacrifice her, I think I may not be getting up early to do that. I think I may even call a special prayer meeting at the church and schedule it for two weeks from now. And then call the church at that meeting to go into a season of 40 days of prayer and fasting to seek of whether or not this was God's purpose. Right? How many of y'all understanding what I'm saying? And then I want to make sure that I can handle the trip and I got asthma. So I'll schedule an appointment with my doctor for six months from that. And I'm going to put this off as long as I can. But Abraham got up early the next morning and set off to do what God told him to do. That's radical faith, my friends. That's radical faith. Does that make sense? Yes? I mean, have y'all ever just read that verse and just kind of gleaned right over it? He got up early to do this. Okay? Now, he also, this is important, because when it comes to this radical faith, he viewed this act of obedience as worship for both he and his son. It says in verses 4 and 5, on the, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, and he said to his servant, stay here with the donkey, well, I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we'll come back. Wow, talk about having faith. First he says it's going to be worship. You know the problem is with worship too often? Worship leaders, you can probably understand this. Have you ever been up here leading worship and people just seem like they're doing with it? When I pastored our traditional church, I'd be up front and at the, you know how all those traditional churches have the seats for the preachers to sit up front. I'd sit up front and look out and we're singing joyful, joyful, we adore thee. I look out and it's like, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee, God. Yeah, I mean, that's why we just, we just kind of go through the... We worship really good when things are really going well and we feel good. Amen? Man, we're called to worship no matter what. We're called to make God smile no matter what. Job had a horrible... He didn't just have a horrible day. He had a horrible five minutes. Because it said while each servant got done talking, the next one came, the next one came. So by the time you read that whole text, everything Job lost in Job chapter 1, he lost in the period of time it takes you to read that chapter. And it said his response was he worshipped God. He looked at this sacrifice as an opportunity to worship God with his son, even though what he was called to do was heartbreaking and horrendous to his very heart. It was ripping him apart. But yet he says, you know what? We're going to worship and by the way, I'm going to bring my boy back. We're going to come back. It says in Hebrews that Abraham reasoned in his mind, in his heart, that if God had to have him sacrifice, that God would raise him from the dead. You see, this is what Abraham knew. God keeps his promises. And even if God tests our faith and makes us think that it's in contradiction to his promises, it will never be. God will always keep his promises. That's radical faith, folks. When God says, go into all the world and we want to be comfortable at home. When God says, bring your tithe in the storehouse and we're trying to make our electric bill. 
When God says, forgive your wife or husband who's committed adultery, and you're saying, no, I can't, my heart's too broken. When God says, go share your faith with your boss, and you say, well, no, my boss could fire me. No, God has made promise. He will keep his promises. Radical faith. Trust him. Next, he demonstrates his radical faith in that he trusts God to provide the sacrifice necessary to spare his son's life. In verses 6 to 8, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering, placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the knife and the, the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, I mean, said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Man, he said, God will provide. Now, you understand, if, if you study that text and understand, look, rams did not go that high into the mountain. There was going to be no lamb, folks. Unless God did something supernatural. You see, this is a huge step of faith. It's like, it's like if, 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 if I said, uh, if I said uh, you know what? We need to sacrifice a kangaroo. And you guys say, where's the kangaroo, Pastor Stephen? And I say, God will provide the kangaroo. And you'll go, we ain't in Australia. They went up to the mountain. Where's the, where's the, where's the sacrifice going to be, Dad? Uh, God will provide it. Really? I mean, that's faith. That God's, look, and the cool thing is this. While Abraham's going up one side of the mountain, God was bringing the provision up on the other side. That's just how he is. Let's move on. Not only all this, the things we've already talked about shows he had radical faith, but also he's prepared to obey God completely and wholeheartedly. He is ready to offer the sacrifice. In verses 9 to 11, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac, laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Look, Abraham was willing to do whatever God told him to do because he knew that God keeps his word. See, the key to Abraham's obedience was his willing heart. When I was 12 years old, I had a hard time surrendering to God's call in my life. Do you know why? Because in my 12-year-old brain, which is really far, far from being fully formed, I was thinking that if I were surrendered the call of the ministry, um, surrender to God, that I would have to go to Africa. That's what I thought. I mean, come on. Y'all, when you were younger, huh? God, God calls people. Where does he call them to? Africa. I want to go to Africa. Now, when I got older, I finally realized God don't call everybody to Africa or else nobody would be in America, right? We'd all be over in Africa, right? That doesn't work that way. But what I did find out is this. God wants us to be willing to do whatever he tells us to do. He wants me. He didn't want me to go to Africa. He wanted me to be willing to go. That's what he wants me to do. Whatever you want me to do, God. Abraham was willing the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. But the angel of the Lord called out to him, uh, and, then, and then notice, he said, here I am. And Abraham just, just literally demonstrated radical faith. Now, I want to bring you over to the next side now. Now comes radical blessings. Look at how Abraham was, was, uh, was uh, blessed. First of all, there's immediate blessings. You know, he had immediate need. He had to sacrifice. There was no sacrifice but his son. So, in his obedience, what did God provide for Abraham? The sacrifice. He required what was needed. 
Whenever you obey God, he's going to provide for you in the current situation, in your immediate need. Real quick, guys, my wife and I, in the first two years of marriage, I was running from the call to the ministry. Our marriage was horrible. If divorce was an option, we probably wouldn't end in divorce. But when we got married, divorce was not an option, so we were just simply miserable. And then we finally surrendered to, to, to God in our lives, the Lord in our lives, and it started with our finances. My wife says we need to tithe. I said, okay, Les, we're going to tithe. Well, unfortunately, my first check from working at cleaning floors at Kmart all night long was $50. Tithe is $5. Rent was $325. You do the math. I told Leslie, my precious wife, that God did not need the $5. My precious wife said, we made a promise to God, so we're going to keep it. I said, fine. I can't stand it when she's right. Okay? So we go to church, and I was not a cheerful giver that morning. I was like, all right, God, here's your five bucks if that's what you want. You know, I was not a man of faith, folks. Now, get this. How much did I put in the offering plate? Okay, remember that. Monday morning, I get a call from the local newspaper. We have been delivering newspapers for three weeks to earn money, to pay our rent. They put all the names of the employees in a hat and drew a name. Our name was drawn. And the guy said, Mr. Carr, you've won the grand prize. Grand prize is a trip to Disney World. Now listen, your hotel's paid for, your mission is paid for, you just got to pay to get there and back. And I said, I can't even put gas in my own car to go to work. How am I going to go all the way to Disney World? I said, I'm sorry, I'm going to turn it down. Well, he said, but you could take the cash value. And I said, cash value? Cash value. I heard cash value. Tell me what cash value is all about. And he said, cash value is $825. I said, I'll be right down. I went down, got my $825. Went back home. We put all of our bills out on the table. The total of our bills to pay all the bills for that month to get called up was $820. Bills paid, and God gave me my five bucks back anyway. <laughs> so he got a sense of humor or what? You see, when you trust him, he'll provide what you need right then and there. Right in the immediacy. My wife and I went on faith. We're raising our own support. Does it look like I've missed many meals? The Lord provides. Amen? Secondly, not only does he provide immediate needs, and we see that in the scripture there, verses 13 to 14, that he looked up and he saw the ram, the ram was in the thicket, and the ram was then used for sacrifice. All right? Second blessing, second radical blessing, is the long term, the legacy blessing. In that text, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from uh, heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you've done this, have not withheld your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashores. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. I mean, he says, look, Abraham, look, Abraham had a hard time having one child. But because of his obedience, he literally has so many descendants now. Three major world religions claim Abraham for themselves. Christianity, Judaism, and Islam. Man, he made out pretty good for a guy who couldn't have one child. God blessed him with a legacy because of his obedience. God desires us to have radical faith so that he can provide for us now and provide for us a legacy for your children, your children's children, your children's children's children, and all those around. 
My dad is in the nursing home right now dying in last stages of dementia. My mom, we don't know if she's going to wake up in the morning and she goes to bed because of a blood disorder that she has. Married 59 years. I'm telling you something, folks. My legacy from them, I'm a fourth generation pastor, is so rich, it's ridiculous. Because they obey God. I want the same for my kid. How about you all? I love your kids had a legacy. That happens when you obey God. Thirdly, there's eternal or spiritual blessings. In verse 18, it says, And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. That, that's a prophecy about Jesus coming. But in the, and wouldn't it be incredible when we obey God, how he provides for our spiritual blessings? Do y'all want your children saved? Parents, would you like to see your children saved? I'd like to see your children come to know Jesus? Follow them about, not because you tell them to, but because they love them? Wouldn't that be really cool? Well, that's done by you having radical faith and obeying God in all that you do. Because it says right here that through you all nations will be blessed. Why? Because you have obeyed me. All of Abraham's blessings were due to his willingness to obey, to obey God. My friends, radical faith still produces radical blessings. And I want to close with this, guys. I want to challenge y'all. I don't know what, what, what thing God's calling you to do. Maybe he is calling you to go to Africa. I don't know. Maybe he's calling you to leave your job so you can go to do something to do with mission work. Maybe he's calling you to repent of a sin that you have been fostering for a long time. Maybe he's calling you out of a relationship you shouldn't be in. Maybe he's calling you a relationship that you should be in. Maybe he's calling you to tithe. Maybe he's calling you to reach out to your neighbor. Maybe he's calling you to forgive someone you've never been able to forgive before. Our God calls us to do things that to us are radical. But if we will obey him, he will give us radical blessings. That's who he is. The reason why we don't experience all of God is because we don't obey all of God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. Oh, we hate that word in American culture. Don't do obey. Don't do obey. Yeah, as Christians, we do obey. Because without it, there is no blessing. There is no being set free. There is no healing. There is no reward. There is no salvation. Because Jesus obeyed the Father and went all the way to the cross. Here's your choice, guys. Earlier in Abraham's life, he really blew it. Remember the account of Sarah came to him and said, hey, Abraham, we ain't having any kids. God's not doing what he promised. We need to help him out. So you go sleep with Hagar. And Abraham, as a man of God, went, okay. I'm thinking to myself, boy, if, if he was a man of God, how much would we have been blessed if he just would have said, no, we're going to trust God? Just a little note to you men. Obey God. Well, they have Ishmael, right? Now, real quick. That would come back to bite him big time. Because years later, you remember his great-grandson's name was Joseph? Remember Joseph? When Joseph's brothers, Abraham's long gone now, right? Long gone. Joseph was sold into slavery by his brothers? Read the text sometimes in Genesis. It says this, that he was sold into slavery by his brothers to a band of Ishmaelites. Abraham's sin comes back to bite, to hurt 
to wound his own great-grandson. Folks, you can choose to disobey God if you want. But understand, we never sin and disobey God in a vacuum. It affects everybody around us in generations to come. But now fast forward to this. When he obeyed God, a radical obedience. When he obeyed God, what what does the scripture say? Through him now all nations are going to be blessed. Folks, it's our choice. Our God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He blesses us when we go out in faith, radical faith. And when he blesses, he brings radical blessings. My question to y'all here today is this. Where does he want to bless you? What's he calling you to trust him on? And will you do it? Let me pray for you. Father, thank you, Lord, for your, just your goodness to us. Thank you for loving us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you, Lord God, that you are a God of mercy and a God of grace. And Lord God, we know that you love us with an everlasting love, an eternal love. And Lord God, my prayer today is that we don't just accept the fact that you desire to save us, but we also understand that you desire to bless us and to use us and to cause us to be your instruments, God. We are your workmanship. We are your masterpiece. We were created to do good works from before time even began. God, you have a purpose for us. Lord, forgive us for putting you in a box. Forgive us for not radically obeying you. And Lord God, today my prayer is that we would desire to pursue you with a radical love and passion. And Lord, trusting you for blessings that we never thought possible. Lord God, call us to yourself. I know, I don't know what you've said to people, but I know you've said something because you promised your word never comes back void. We trust you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.